Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. This week on the podcast, we bring you another great course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, we will be releasing the first five parts of David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And when David was young, he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother lay dying in a nearby hospital. These simultaneously occurring events propelled him toward what has become his life's purpose, helping people manage, recover, and even find meaning in their grief. He facilitates talks, workshops, and retreats for those experiencing loss, as well as training physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end of life and trauma. Over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of David's series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, which includes 10 core lessons plus Q&As, yoga practices for grief, and downloadable worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's O-N-E Commune dot com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of help for the hurting heart. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And If you regularly listen to this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher. Tap follow show and leave us a review. It really makes a huge difference. And now here's day two, where David reveals that you are not powerless in your pain and that you can change the story you tell yourself and other people. Tune in for parts three through five later this week. In this video, we're going to be talking about the mind and loss. Grief is about our heart, but our mind can take over and get in the way. So I thought it would be important to learn a little bit about how our mind works in grief. There are the facts that happen, and then your mind will often make up a story about that. So I'll give you an example, and this is something I do in retreats and in workshops. So you'll just have to imagine this playing out. I pair people up. And I will say to them to name three 
major events in your life. Three major events. Major. And people go, bad ones, good ones. I'll go, both. Make sure you've got some bad and some good, right? And I will say, with the person you're partnered with, I want you to share your three major events, but I want you to share it as just the facts. No emotions, no details, just the facts. Okay? So, for example, I'll do it with you. If I was going to do it, just the facts, three major things, I might say, when I was 13 years old, my mother died. In 1995, my first book came out. A few years ago, my younger son David died. Those are the facts. No emotion, no story about them, okay? Both people share their three facts, right? Bad and good. Then I say, okay, next round. We're gonna do it again, the exact same three facts, but I want you to talk about them as the worst thing that happened, the worst parts, the worst way, find something horrific or horrible about it. And someone will go, wait, the good stuff too? Yes, the good stuff too. So I'll stick with my three examples, right? They don't change. I would say, my mother died when I was 13. It was so hard. I wasn't ready to be without a mother in the world. It was so lonely and isolating. I felt so different from the world. My next event was my book being published. It was great to be an author, but I wasn't ready for the public criticism. I wasn't, I mean, it was wonderfully received, but of course my mind went to any critics or criticism, and I was surprised that people could criticize you who didn't even read the book. So it was so disappointing to see you write a book and you're criticized for even trying. Then my son died. Brutal then and brutal now. Those are my three things in the worst way. Can you guess what's coming next in the exercise? Same three things, the three things never change. I ask people to now name those same three things and talk about them in the best way or something good about them. People are like, what, the bad things? Yes, the bad things. So let me go to my three examples. This is now looking at some positive aspect. My mother died when I was 13. It was so hard, I wasn't ready. And it changed the trajectory of my life and gave me this amazing career. My book came out, my first book came out, 1995, once an author, always an author. It's a great platform to have. My son unexpectedly died a few years ago. So brutal. And it has made me go deeper in my work. I can like help people 
on an even deeper level. Okay, so that's the exercise. Just the facts, then the worst way, then the positive way, right? I say to the uh, uh, attendees, what did you what, what did you think that was about? Why did I have you do that? People will say to point out there's good and bad in everything, um, to find meaning, to um, see things from a different perspective, to realize there's more than one way to see things. I say all of your reasons are true, but mainly it was for you to become aware of your narrative. We all have a way we tell our story. How do you tell your story? And what you may find is how your story changes over time. For example, if you had met me in my 20s, horrible victim, horrible abandonment issues, my story would have been one of victimhood. Then I, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to have that story. Then I sort of normalized it. Yeah, I had bad things happen in my childhood, didn't everyone? I mean, I'm sure people have had shootings and death in their childhood. No big deal. Everyone gets something. I sort of minimized it. That's how I told it. Then at a certain point, I realized it's nothing to minimize, that it's actually a story of triumph. So how have you told your story? How has it changed? Do you tell your story with a victim mentality? Do you tell your story as someone who's made it through horrible obstacles? How do we tell our stories? Because you've met people that tell their story, right? You've met the people who are like, and then this bad thing happened, there was a silver lining, and then this bad thing happened, and there was a silver lining, and then this bad thing happened, silver lining. And you're like, oh, gotcha, it's all about the silver linings. Someone else might tell a story and go, and then that happened. Oh, and as if that wasn't bad enough, then this happened. Oh no, wait for it, there's more, right? They're telling it as, boy, bad stuff happens to me all the time. That's how they tell their story. Now, remember, the events do not change. How you tell your story can change. This is where your mind works. How you can tell your story changes. You are not the author of the facts. I'm not the author of the story of my mother dying or my book being published or my son dying. I am the author of how the story about those events get told. I am the author of that story. That's where I have some control. Our mind holds all our memories. It holds the good one. It holds the bad ones. It holds prior grief. It holds prior trauma. We carry our old wounds in our heart, in our mind, in our body. We carry our grief and our trauma in all those places. One of the people I do retreats on that I invited to be with us uh, in this program is Paul Denniston, who's the founder of Grief Yoga. He created that because he talks about how the body remembers and how we store grief and trauma in our body. 
So you're going to get to experience that and it'll be another wonderful asset to help you in working through your old grief and old traumas that you may have. So as we talk about these old wounds, we carry them with us. And our old wounds, we project those onto our new grief. So we have the grief, but they're also colored by our old wounds. So I can remember I was doing um, a TV show where I was counseling someone on the TV show and I didn't have a lot of time with them. And it's interesting. They said, this happened, they feel guilty. This happened, they feel guilty. This happened, they feel guilty. And I finally said to them, when was the first time you felt that much guilt in your childhood? And they're like, oh my gosh, how did you know I've always been guilty? Because that's what they were projecting onto the current grief. So a lot of times our old wounds will get projected onto our grief, onto our trauma. Wouldn't it be so great if we could like, I'm just dealing with my grief or trauma now, no, no old wounds, but they come in. What we do with our old wounds is we're constantly trying to heal them. So we project them onto situations and people all the time to keep recreating that situation to bring it up for healing. But then that also works on your grief. We are projection machines. I always say, if you spot it, you got it. We're these projection machines. We're always spotting our old wounds on the outside. And it's interesting if someone reflects that to us, how we process it. I'll give you an example. If something's an old wound, it lands. If something's not a wound of mine, it doesn't land. For example, someone says to me, you know, David, you're really cruel to animals. I'll go, I think you got the wrong David. No, you're cruel to animals. No, really, I'm the wrong David. Let's find that David, because that's horrible. It's just not me. I don't have a huge reaction, except let's find that person who's being cruel to animals, but it's just not me. On the other hand, if someone goes, you know, David, you can have a tone in your voice. I do not have, I do not have a tone in my voice, right? Oh, it lands. I got it, right? That's one of my wounds. It's coming out. So it's interesting to see how when we have a reaction to things, that can be an indication of our old wounds. Maybe an overreaction might be a better way of saying it. We are constantly judging others with those projections. We're constantly judging ourselves. I always say you're either holding a mirror or a magnifying glass. You're really with a magnifying glass, magnifying the wounds of others or magnifying your wounds. Or you're looking at yourself and seeing it there, right? So we go back and forth. Where do these old wounds come from? What are these old wounds? In a primal way, I can tell you what your old wounds are. 
you're either not enough or you're too much. That's kind of our basic. They play out in a million different ways, but you're either not enough, you're just inadequate, not enough, or you are just too much. Okay. So how these play out and how I try to help people with these is to look at in our lives, usually in our childhood, there is an event. From this event, we make a conclusion. From that conclusion, we form our belief systems. So I'll walk you through an example. A woman shared with me, I think it was actually at a divorce workshop. She was five years old and her parents were getting divorced. So her parents are getting divorced and she doesn't quite understand it. And then one day she hears her dad is moving out. And her first thought is not dad. I love dad. I wish it was mom instead. I don't want dad to move out. And she sees her dad packing things up. She follows him from room to room. This little girl at five, six years old sees dad packing things up and loading them into a station wagon gets all his stuff loaded up into a station wagon and he's about to leave and she's standing there watching him. And she told me, do you know how any stories or books or movies, you always think there's the moment when the person turns around and goes, don't you worry, daddy's coming back for you. Don't you worry, daddy's never forgetting you. And she said she was standing there waiting for that moment, but he just got in the car and drove away without a look back. That's the event. There weren't adults around to help this young girl process it. There was no one to say, honey, this divorce is not about you. It's impacting you. We're so sorry, but it's not about you. And daddy's leaving that way has nothing to do with you. It's his feelings about the anger or the failure of the marriage, whatever it is. But honey, it's not about you. She didn't have that. So what does her young mind do? It makes a conclusion. I'm not worth a look back. I'm not worth staying around for. I'm not worth being loved. And then she turns that into her belief system. Decades later, She's in this divorce workshop with me. And not only is she there to learn about her grief that she's experiencing in her divorce, but she is projecting onto this. No wonder he left. Why would anyone stay with me? I'm not lovable. Her old wounds were getting projected onto that grief or abandonment issues get projected onto the grief. Our past relationship wounds, our traumas can begin to shape us. You know, in some ways, I am a bit of a product of my triumphs and my wounds and everything in between. But the wounds are loud. The wounds are loud, as you know. I also think it's interesting as we talk about boundaries. When we talk about boundaries, 
I can remember um, I was about to embark on a 30 city book tour for my newest book. And I said to a colleague that I worked with on my team, I said, there might be one or two rare cases where something happens on a weekend. Maybe there is a big review or some news item that we might need to get posted right away. And I said, I know you don't do weekends and that's our agreement, but I'm wondering if this in this period, you would be willing to, if just one or two things came up that you'd be willing to help. And this person went, that's it, I'm done. You know, I do not ever let anyone violate my boundaries that way. I have told you over and over again. And I'm like, it just said in your contract, you don't do weekends. And I'm asking, I know, but that's why I put it in contracts because they get violated. And how dare you even ask? And I went, it was just a question. How dare you? I cannot take my boundaries being violated. And I said to him, listen, was just a question. Now, what's interesting, when I talked, thought about how he became so unhinged about it, many times when it's an old wound, it's something you could have handled with a sentence, but the old wound goes into effect, right? He actually could have said, I hear you might need something on the weekend. I'm so sorry, I'm still not up for it. So maybe there's a plan B you could figure out that's not me, but I, I'm so sorry, but I appreciate you being so respectful of my boundary and checking in with me on it. So boundaries, we often think are about the other person. They violated them. No, boundaries are about us holding our own boundary. And, you know, there's the saying in psychology about if it's hysterical, it's historical. And that's not meaning that anyone's hysterical in a bad way. It just means if there is an overreaction, it probably means there's some history. Someone did not respect this person's boundaries in the past. Someone probably, the just asking about changing a boundary sent this person into their past. You know, boundaries are so important. They should not be too loose and not too tight. So, but you should, you know, be able to say, I wanna check in on your boundary on this to make sure we're clear. It's interesting how those old wounds play out. Like my old wound is abandonment. Oh my goodness, I would see that wound playing out over and over again in my relationships. If I went to a party and met anyone or started dating someone and they told me they had commitment issues, I was like, can we go out again? I mean, I was recreating people to abandon me again. We replay them, we project them. When we talk about our mind, I also have to mention, besides our old wounds, positive thinking. 
Positive thinking and positive psychology are so important. And I'm a big believer in bringing them into the world in grief and loss. It's interesting, a dear, dear friend who I've known for 30 years is Louise Hay. Louise and I knew each other before there were best-selling books and, and we knew everyone back in the day. She used to do this a Wednesday night talk that would be in a room. And on Wednesdays, if she couldn't make one, I would fill in for her. So we've known each other through the decades. And when we announced that we were doing a book on grief, people were so surprised, like, Louise Hay, positive thinking on grief? How can that be? There's, there's confusion about that. I remember years ago, probably around, I don't know, somewhere like 2012, 2014, Louise was in her 80s, very healthy. We were doing a lecture together at a big conference. So we were having lunch together before the lecture. And she said to me, um, David, I've been thinking, when I die, would you be willing to be there with me? And I said, of course, Louise, I, I would be honored. Is there anything going on? Are you ill? And she goes, no, no, my goodness, no, I'm completely healthy. But she said, I've been so committed to living fully. I want to make sure when it's my time to die fully, I do that well. And I know you know how to do that. And I want some support. And I said, absolutely. And it's interesting, I got up from that lunch thinking, all right, I can never share that with anyone. And then we get up in front of hundreds of people and Louise says, oh, I just talked to David. And I asked him if he'd be there when he died, when I died. And it was so interesting to see how she did not feel like whether we're talking about those bad things in life that happen, that we can't bring our positiveness to them. When we think about positive thinking, I like to bring us to a very basic level, first of all, of how our thoughts work. We have no neutral thoughts. Every thought, everything we have, we bring meaning to. If I was to show you a piece of wood that had a black core and you had not been taught what it was and I showed you this piece of wood, you might think it's a weapon, you wouldn't be sure what it is. But if you've been taught and attached the meaning that that is a pencil, you have a story now about this pencil that can solve a math equation. It can... Um, uh, help you with uh, uh, writing a novel. You have thoughts about everything. You have no neutral thoughts, right? So we have been raised, we do not have control over our thoughts. So if someone said to me, uh, David, that's a nice blue shirt. If I went, oh, I, 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 I don't know how it got on me, it's, it's just here. You'd be like, what? No, David, you went into your closet this morning and you chose this blue shirt. It didn't just happen to you. 
So this is true about our thinking. We, we've been raised, we don't have this power to choose our thinking, but we can choose our thinking. That doesn't mean we can change events that happen sometimes in our life, but we can choose the story around them. So affirmations come into this. People think about affirmations. We want to make sure an affirmation isn't pouring pink paint on some reality. You know, if I'm driving and I have a flat tire, I it's not helpful to me. It doesn't serve me to go, all right, my affirmation is I don't have a flat tire. I don't have a flat tire. I don't have a flat tire. Darn it, I still have a flat tire. But the flat tire is the fact. What I affirm after that, my thinking after that is, this is going to be hard. This is going to ruin my day, ruin my night. Or, oh good, I've got a spare. I can make this work, right? So your thinking doesn't shift always the event, but it shifts how we feel about the event. When I do lectures and workshops, we're usually uh, in big um, hotels, in meeting rooms, and we're all in this big meeting room. The next to us is some association's annual conference, and maybe down the hall is healthcare workers learning Spanish, and down the other hall is accounting. And we're in here in, in, in my uh, session, in our conference, doing grief. At the end of the day, everyone leaves. I might be there with some people who are afterwards I'm talking to, and the cleaning crews come in, uh, you know, fairly quickly. And so it's happened a number of times. Someone on the cleaning crew will go, hey, what was your group? And I go, why do you ask? And you go, well, your group was laughing the most. And I'll go, oh, we were doing grief. Grief? What kind of grief? You know, grief when a loved one dies or there's a divorce or something. And I can see their mind trying to understand. But to me, what that means is because we've been through the worst that life has to offer, it like expands our bandwidth. And when it expands our bandwidth, it expands it both ways. We are deeper in the pain and can go deeper, but we also can go deeper into the joy and into the laughter. So I think about the positive thinking to know even our worst can bring out our best. Even when we're most challenged and at our worst, we can find our best. But when we talk about affirmations, here's how I see them done in a way that's not effective. Someone will do this. My mind keeps telling me I'm stupid. All right, I'm going to get an affirmation. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use affirmations. All right, my mind's telling me I'm stupid. I'm smart. You're stupid. No, I'm smart. You're stupid. Oh, I'm so bad at affirmations. And then we beat ourselves up that we're bad at trying to be positive. I think affirmations, we have to concretize them meaning make something concrete out of them and then use the word and. 
So the example would be, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. And then I would think of a concrete example. I left early to get here on time today. And I was really smart by getting here on time today. Or I feel so unloved, I feel so unloved. And my friends tell me I'm quite lovable. Don't deny it, add the word and, give yourself a concrete example, and then use the affirmation. But it is never positive thinking, especially in grief work, to deny our feelings. Your feelings have a right to exist just because they are. Many times I see people in grief going, I, I got to get rid of these feelings. They have a right to live. Jealousy has a right to live in grief. Hate has a right to live. Um, anger has a right to live. I'm not saying be angry at anyone or hate anyone, but I'm saying if you feel that feeling coming up that you hate something, you hate whatever it is, people who have family members that they all live to, they're 100 years old and no one ever dies. If that's your feeling, acknowledging it and working with it will help. Denying your reality and pouring pink paint and go, oh no, I don't hate, I don't hate, I'm just fuming, does not help. So we wanna make sure we don't use positive thinking as a way to push down reality. You know, you can't help your loved one with illness if you're denying the reality. You can't help your loved one with an addiction if you're denying the addiction. We have to try to be honest with who we are and what we're feeling, and we have power over the story that comes after. And sometimes you'll see the positive thinking breaks down if you try to make it too simplistic. Like I remember one example, I was looking at this video in my social media feed years ago, and it was a few years after 9-11. It told the story of people who worked in the World Trade Center or had a meeting there on September 11th. And it said, you know, Susan's kids were making her late for work and she was upset at them because they were causing her to be late. Jim's car broke down. He wasn't going to get into the city in time for his meeting. Ben missed the subway and he wasn't able to, you know, catch his train on time. And then it goes on to say, and these people did not die in September 11th attack. So the message was, just remember the next time something goes wrong, it might be God intervening to help you. And it was kind of this sweet message. But then when you thought about it, you went, wait a minute, who's that God? Like that God saved everyone who was late, but everyone who was at work and got to there on time got killed? Oh, that doesn't work out. So. Think about, you know, we want to be careful. We don't add a story to try to make something work to make it seem more positive. Sometimes the reality is good people die. 
bad people die, right? And to not try to change what is to make it fit in a more positive way. We have to live in reality and positive thinking can be a wonderful asset in that way. And these affirmations continue to repeat. You know, we often have these repetitive, validating belief systems. You know, the goal is to raise the awareness of our negative beliefs that are coming up over and over again. We're always affirming something. And so many times, those circular beliefs that keep getting repeated over and over are many times the ones that are the most painful, that aren't helpful to us. So I want to explain this concept of pain versus suffering, especially when it comes to grief and trauma. There is a pain of your loved one dying. I can't take away that pain. It isn't my place to take away the pain of your loved one's death or the pain of your divorce or whatever the, the pain is that you're going through. It's my place to witness your pain and give you the dignity of your pain. Suffering, on the other hand, is what your crazy mind does. Our minds are crazy. They literally will cause additional suffering. You know, I love Annie Lamont. She's a wonderful writer. She has a great quote. She says, my mind is like a bad neighborhood that I never want to walk into alone. I live about a block from an ATM. There's times it would be safer for me to walk to the ATM at 3 a.m. than to walk into my mind at that time of night. Our mind, which we would think would be so helpful to us, can turn on us, especially in grief. We want to witness the pain, but we want to question the suffering. Let me give you an example about this. A woman was um, doing errands with her son and her um, uh, husband one Saturday, and she made a lunch date to be with a friend. And as they were doing errands, she said to her husband and son, I'm going to go have lunch with my friend and I'll meet you guys later. They separated. The husband and son went to lunch. She went to lunch. The husband and son were in a horrific car accident and were killed. Someone had ran a red light and they were killed instantly. This woman had to deal with the death of her husband and her son. Do you think her mind says to her, oh my goodness, what horrible losses. We're gonna be so kind. We're gonna be so easy with you. We're gonna have so much compassion. No, that's not what her mind says. You know what her mind says? If you hadn't gone to lunch, they'd still be alive. That's the problem, you going to lunch. To notice how our mind can work against us. Begin to have awareness around your thoughts. What are they telling you about your loss? Are they, they turning on you? Is your mind turning on you? Is it, is it causing blame? Is it self-blame? And to reframe some of the things it's saying, to question your thoughts, to question the stories, they may not be true. I want you to think about this. If you saw a friend 
and the friend was crying, her loved one had died, or her husband or his wife had just left him, would you ever go up to that friend whose loved one had died and said, by the way, you going to lunch might have did it. Would you ever to say to someone who was divorcing or found out their loved one betrayed him, you probably brought this on yourself. So think of how cruel we can speak to ourselves and to think about what would it be kinder to say. It's more important your words be kind than to try to make them positive. Make them kind. And people will go, but that's what I feel. That's what I think. Just because a thought or feeling exists doesn't mean it's true. It may exist, but it doesn't mean it's true. How can you reshape those stories that keep you stuck in your suffering? And just know we have beliefs sometimes that somehow the suffering honors our loved one who died. That's not true. You know, being a victim, and whenever I use the word victim, I'm not saying you weren't victimized in the world, but there is also a victim mentality that can, we can create in our mind. Having a victim mentality is not a gift to your loved one who died or to yourself. It's not kind to yourself. It doesn't help in the healing process. I can't heal a victim. You can't heal a victim. And if you lost a job, being a victim of it doesn't help you get another job. If divorce becomes your brand, that doesn't help you either. These are horrific things that happened that you deserve healing, but not to turn on yourself. Sometimes our mind can do that. All right, here's the homework. The homework is, what stories do you tell yourself about the grief that may not be 100% true? Do you believe you caused the death? Do you believe you actually had the power to save them? So maybe list some of these stories you tell yourself about your grief and then question, are they true? And could you restate them and say them differently in a more truthful way? Much more to come on this course, many more tools that will help you with this. But for now, what are the stories you're telling yourself about grief? And are they really 100% true? All right, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access downloadable worksheets and yoga flows for processing grief, go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of commune membership. That's onecommune.com help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to commune's entire course library, including the full length version of help for the hurting heart. Feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com.
Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Thank you.